Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Good morning. Today, God speaks to us from Jonah 3, 2 to 5, 10, chapter 4, 1 to 4. Hoy Dios nos habla a través de Jonás, capítulo 3, versículos 2 al 5, 10 y capítulo 4, 1 al 4. Anda, ve a la gran ciudad de Nínive y proclámale el mensaje que te voy a dar. Jonás se fue hacia Nínive, conforme al mandato del Señor. Ahora bien, Nínive era una ciudad grande y de mucha importancia. Jonás se fue internando en la ciudad y la recorrió todo un día mientras proclamaba. Dentro de 40 días, Nínive será destruida. Y los ninivitas le creyeron a Dios, proclamaron ayuno y desde el mayor hasta el menor se vistieron de luto en señal de arrepentimiento. Al ver Dios lo que hicieron, es decir, que se habían convertido de su mal camino, cambió de parecer y no llevó a cabo la destrucción que les había anunciado. Pero esto disgustó mucho a Jonás. Y lo hizo enfurecerse, así que oró al Señor de esta manera. Oh Señor, ¿no era esto lo que yo decía cuando todavía estaba en mi tierra? Por eso me anticipé a oír a Tarsis, pues bien sabía que tú eres un Dios bondadoso y compasivo, lento para la ira y lleno de amor, que cambias de parecer y no destruyes. Así que ahora Señor, te suplico que me quites la vida, prefiero morir que seguir viviendo. Tienes razón de enfurecerse, enfurecerte tanto, respondió el Señor. Esta es la palabra de Dios. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if there is any prophet that is more famous than the prophet of Jonah. Uh, whether you grew up in church or not, more than likely you at least heard one of the most famous Bible stories of the Bible, Jonah and the whale. Now, of course, uh, that story, if you don't know, uh, has drum, it, it drums up a lot of controversy uh, out in the world, uh, specifically uh, things like how was there a whale in that part of the world? Uh, isn't the Hebrew word there just the translation? Shouldn't it just be a, a big fish? And if it was a big fish, why do we say that it's a whale when a whale is actually a mammal? Uh, what kind of fish? is able to swallow then a, a, a man whole. And even if that man was swallowed whole, how is he gonna live inside that fish for three days? Uh, these are good questions, all good questions. None of which though, ultimately have to do with the true message of Jonah. And to not be uh, dismissive of those very real questions that maybe some of us here might be processing. I do wanna just say though, that at the center of the Bible is the story of a man who claimed to be God who rose from the dead, uh, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father until one day he comes to restore all the cosmos. So given that fact, could there possibly be a way that God could make it so that a man ends up in a fish? I think so. More than likely possible. Again, none of that though is ultimately gonna be anything that we look at today. Instead, what we wanna do is we wanna try and see the central theme of Jonah. And that theme is not going to be the big fish, but rather it's the theme of rebellion. It's the theme of self-righteousness. 
It's the theme of God's grace. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we have been uh, in the middle of a series, a Lent series uh, called The Day of the Lord. And what we've been doing each week is we've been looking at uh, the general themes uh, of which the minor prophets proclaim in order to reflect on our own hearts, our own sin, and our need for restoration. And today we consider the message of Jonah Again, in particular, that theme of rebellion. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at a couple different types of rebellion that we find in the book of Jonah. I want to take a look at a rebellion from, the, from outside of obedience. I want to take a look at a rebellion from inside obedience. And then finally, we're going to take a look at how rebellion is ultimately conquered. Okay, so first, rebellion outside of obedience. The story of Jonah centers around uh, God's desire to save the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which is now modern-day Iraq. Uh, and they were really known for being a polytheistic, pagan nation. They served and worshipped many different gods. It is also important to note that Israel and Assyria were longtime enemies in this region of the world. Uh, there's record of Assyria successfully waging war against many different nations, including waging war against Israel. And at the time of Jonah, Assyria was a very real threat, an enemy of the people of God in Israel. It should also be noted that the Assyrians were an absolutely brutal and cruel people against those that they uh, conquered. In 2 Kings, uh, the book of 2 Kings, it speaks of them showing no mercy and that the kings of Assyria would lay waste to nations and their lands. There was brutal domination and shaming that would happen when they conquered people. Frankly, I can't uh, in good conscience describe all of the different ways that they would present this domination and this shaming. But what I will say, and I'm not exaggerating this point, uh, if the fictional and yet notorious uh, mass murderer uh, Hannibal Lecter uh, was to systematize some of his methods of killing that would get very close to the ways that Assyria and the Assyrians would treat people. So, bottom line is that in innumerable ways, in, in innumerable ways, they obviously were people who were living in rebellion against that which God desires. And so God was going to bring judgment upon them for their wickedness. They were a people with no mercy, who worshipped many gods, who were extraordinarily cruel, self-serving, vicious. But in the beginning part of Jonah, we have God, out of love, seeking to call this city to uh, repentance and faith. And so he tells the prophet Jonah, go to that great city and call out against it for their evil has come before me. And so what we see in chapter 3 is that because of their wickedness, God was planning to destroy this city in 40 days, but was willing to relent from that calamity if they turned from their wickedness. But, of course, if you know the story, we know that Jonah, though he was sent to go to Nineveh, he rebels. Jonah rebels against God, and he refuses to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to them, and instead he tries to run away from what God had just told him to do, and he ends up on a boat attempting to go the very opposite direction of Nineveh. Why? The reason being is because he did not approve of God's plan for Nineveh. 
he did not desire for God to actually show them any kind of mercy. And so he rejects God's commands by ignoring what God called him to do. And here's what I find interesting, is that at this part in the story, Nineveh and Jonah were both rebelling by being outside of God's will. Right? Both this great city and the prophets rejected what God desired, meaning they rejected his commands and instead decided to live their own way. And this is often how we think about rebellion, isn't it? I mean, for us, rebellion is knowing what we should do, but refusing to do it, or being told to do something, but refusing to do it. And part of what I see in this story is ultimately that because God is loving, both with Nineveh and with Jonah, we see God trying to get their attention by stepping in and jarring them a bit in order to pull them away from their rebellion and back toward himself. So for Nineveh, God had sent a prophet to them to tell them about a coming destruction if they did not repent. And so in this way, God was trying to get them to turn away from their rebellion. But for Jonah, famously, Jonah also being in, in rebellion, God sends this big fish to swallow him whole until he repented and obeyed. So I say this because one of the clear takeaways from the story of Jonah is that maybe some of us here are currently rebelling against God's will and God's commands. We're outside of his, uh, his will for us, outside of obedience. Maybe we are involved in some kind of unjust or self-serving or unrighteous way of living. Maybe that is the case for many of us here. We know what God requires of us. We know what he desires from us. But like Nineveh, we serve some other God or some other master, rejecting the true God, all so that we can be our own master. Or maybe some of us here were more like Jonah. You know what God desires for you. It's, it's so clear what God desires for you. You know he is calling you to live in particular kinds of ways, to serve him in particular kinds of ways, but our rebellious heart is trying to run as far away as possible. We are consciously and deliberately disobeying what God desires from us. Either way, one takeaway from this story is that in rebellion, if God is gracious and loving, which he is, he will get our attention. And maybe that means he'll call people into our life that will call us to repent and warn us of the consequences of our rebellion. Or he might send a fish, so to speak, to divert you off your path of rebellion. I think we would probably all be able to acknowledge this, but God stepping in with a big fish is not going to be a very pleasant experience for us. In the moment... It will feel like destruction. It will feel like God is absolutely wrecking our plans, upending our life. But he could be doing that in order to jar us out of our rebellion. So we cannot avoid what's obvious here, that God may send a fish that completely wrecks all of your plans if it means that in the end he's going to save you from the consequences of your rebellion against him, to call you back to repentance and faith because that is the better way to go. However, all that said, rebellion 
outside of obedience is actually not the only kind of rebellion that we see here in Jonah. Because we also see a rebellion that's occurring inside of obedience. Let me show you what I mean. So after Jonah is in the belly of the fish, uh, he has a lot of time. He's got three whole days to self-reflect on his rebellion. And in chapter 3 of our passage, God goes to him again and says in verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it, uh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a, straight, or was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. And this is here what he was proclaiming. Jonah proclaims to the city, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites, as a result, believed God. And as a result of that, they repented. Then it goes on in verse 10, and it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring them the destruction he had threatened. It's a beautiful story of salvation. They were a wicked people who relent, or, uh, turned away from their wickedness, and God relented. But here's what's interesting. Even though Jonah had just witnessed this remarkable salvation of an entire city because of his message, his response is extraordinarily telling because Jonah is furious that God relented. Listen to his prayer in chapter 4. And if you guys want to throw that up uh, so we can follow along. But he says in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah is angry. Why is he so angry? Well, remember who the Assyrians are. They are this pagan nation, enemies of Israel. And Jonah is furious with God for showing them grace, for showing them compassion and love. That was supposed to be, that kind of grace and love was supposed to be for his people. How dare God be gracious and compassionate and loving to those wicked people? Jonah did not want to preach repentance to them because he knew Nineveh would be destroyed if he didn't. If Nineveh was destroyed, then his people would be secure and safe. He didn't believe that they deserved the compassionate love of God, and so he's furious. As he says in verse 3, now, God, this is how angry he is. He says, now, God, take away my life, for it is better for me to live, or to die than to live. He's so angry at God that he just wants to die. Now, commentators have noted several things about what's going on here. It's very insightful what's going on with Jonah. First, it's important to note that Jonah's anger is ultimately a nationalistic anger, meaning he wants his enemies destroyed. Jonah's anger shows a much greater concern for the security of Israel than it does the mercy of God toward the people of Nineveh. And the clue to this is actually found in the word in verse 2 that's translated as love. See, that word that's translated as love is the Hebrew word hesed. 
It's a word that has no real direct English translation uh, because it encapsulates so much. There are other words for love in the Old Testament, but hesed is a very particular kind of love. It incorporates layers of love, so much so that certain translations of the Bible translate the word as things like steadfast love, a loving kindness, or abundant and merciful love. And they do that to try to not flatten this word into our ambiguous word of love. It means something very particular. Hesed is used over 250 times in the Old Testament, and it's a love that's ultimately rooted in covenant relationship. It's a love that incorporates mercy and compassion and grace and faithfulness. It's a love that flows from the very character of God. And most importantly, it is a love that time and time again is the word that God uses when he's talking about how he loves his people in Israel. But here, in absolute disgust, what we see Jonah saying is, I didn't want to come and preach to these people because I knew you would show them hesed. The hesed that is supposed to be for my people, not them. And consider the great hypocrisy of Jonah right now. Jonah likely would have known that some of his contemporaries Prophets like Amos and Hosea, if you remember, were making it clear that the Assyrian Empire would be the tool by which God would bring judgment against Israel. God would use this pagan nation to bring judgment on Israel for what? Well, the very same things that God was bringing judgment against Nineveh, for they, they were guilty of the same things. Israel was full of idolatry, full of wickedness, full of injustice. Israel was under God's judgment for the exact same things. Here's why this is important. Hear me. Jonah wanted hesed for Israel and their rebellion, but he wanted wrath for Nineveh, even though the day of the Lord was coming to both nations for the same reason. And Jonah's anger again shows a deep hypocrisy, a deep xenophobia, Maybe even what we would call racism today. They don't deserve God's love, for they are a lesser people. How dare God be kind to those people? And don't forget that at this point, Jonah is currently in obedience to God. Meaning he is doing what God told him to do. He went to Nineveh. Yet even in his disobedience... He is rebelling against God through his self-righteousness, through his xenophobia, through his unwillingness to embrace how far God's grace truly extends. There is a way, my friends, to rebel against God even in the midst of being obedient to God. And Jonah is giving us the perfect example of what that looks like. You know, some of us here... We're like Jonah when he was running away. We are rejecting or being obedient to God. Some of us here fall into that category. But there are others of us here. Maybe we identify as God's people. We call him our Lord. We are obedient and faithful to the things he commands of us. We might even, like Jonah, be people who proclaim the gospel of grace and call people to repentance and faith. But in the midst of that faithfulness, we're hypocrites. We're self-righteous, believing ourselves better than others. 
and probably the telltale sign of our obedient rebellion is if we are disproportionately angry. You know, right now in kind of the, the Christian zeitgeist, so many people are so angry about so many things. And so often, Christians who find themselves constantly angry assume themselves righteous, but their anger is proving a self-righteousness, a self-assuredness. Twitter and the, the Christian blogosphere, full of Jonas right now, full of hubris, full of arrogance, full of anger. And probably more often than we want to admit, there are probably more Jonas in here than we want to admit, and I can for sure tell you that the guy with the microphone is often a Jonah far more than he would desire to be. Plus, you got that whole, that whole xenophobia thing that Jonah has going on here that he falls prey to. That's a very real temptation for us today. You know, frankly, as one who cares very much about uh, global Christianity, there are a few places that weave together Christian faith and xenophobia quite like American Christianity. For too many, there is such an arrogance and a self-assuredness that interweaves American culture and American Christianity to the point that many, like Jonah and Israel, believe American culture and American faith has some special relationship to God's Hesed. I'm going to leave that right there because I'm not trying to get in trouble. But just know this will be a tendency even for us today. But the bottom line is that rebellion amongst the faithful is not just running from God's purposes, but rather it's self-righteousness in the midst of God's purposes. Now, we might not be uh, xenophobic like Jonah, though we might be. We might not be so angry at the far reaches of God's grace that we see here. Maybe we are. But how... How do we have the tendency within us to think, how could God be so gracious to those people? How could God bless those people? I mean, do we believe that God desires to love and to be in relationship with our worst enemy? That's the kind of thing Jonah is wrestling with here. And in the midst of his rebellious obedience, God confronts Jonah. Let me just side note God confronting us in this kind of rebellion is loving and gracious. In the last verse of our passage, after Jonah has communicated this very dramatic anger, God confronts him. In verse 4, he says, Is it right for you to be angry? Why are you so angry? And then the narrative shifts a bit. Because after God asks that question, Jonah goes out of the city and he sits under, uh, uh, or he goes out the city, uh, rather, to look over the city to see what's going to happen to the city. He's curious. And while there, while he's waiting, God sends a plant to cover Jonah with shade to keep him from experiencing the harshness of the sun. And as a result of this plant that God gives to Jonah, Jonah is absolutely delighted. But if you know the story, after some time, God then sends a worm to destroy that plant uh, so that now the scorching heat is now beating on Jonah's head because the plant has died. And as a result, Jonah gets horribly angry that the plant that was just covering him has now been taken away. And he says this in uh, verse 9, if we want to throw that up there. 
He says, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and also many animals. What's happening there? In other words, Jonah. God is saying, Jonah, you did nothing to deserve that plant. You did nothing to make it grow. Similarly, you did nothing to deserve the grace and the love that I have shown to you and to Israel. I have loved you even though you didn't deserve it and even though you wandered from me. Why would you then care if I extend that same love to Nineveh? And the simple answer to that question is this. Jonah did not truly believe in the grace of God, nor did he love what God loves. Self-righteousness, that, that arrogant hubris and anger it stems from not believing, truly believing in grace. Now, I can be rebellious by believing in God's hesed, his love, while at the same time rejecting it. We can think so highly of ourselves, of our achievements, of our position, of our culture, of our knowledge, even our assurance of salvation. We can be so sure of it that we end up mocking God's grace by responding to it with self-righteousness. I've said this once, and I've said it a hundred times, or I'll say it a hundred times more, but if after I've said all of that, if you think, Phew, I'm really glad I am not nearly that self-righteous, more than likely, you're the most self-righteous among us. Because for the people of God, this is a lifelong struggle. If you are a Christian here today, you have this struggle. I know I certainly do. We're all going to have this tendency toward responding to God's grace with our own self-assuredness, our own sense of self-righteousness. So, my friends, that said, everyone here in this room is rebellious in one of two ways, maybe both at times. We're either rebellious by disobedience, running away from God, or maybe we're rebellious by Obeying God. We're doing a whole list of things that we believe God wants, to, wants us to do. But in the midst of it, we're self-righteousness. Or self-righteous, self-assured, arrogant, proud. Either way, either way, we need God to step in and ultimately conquer that rebellion. Because rebellion always leads to destruction. It's the story of the whole Bible. So with that said, how can we be sure that the rebellion within us is being conquered. Let's look at that finally. Uh, in Matthew 12, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. If you know the Pharisees, they were perfect examples of what it means to be rebellious inside of obedience. They followed the law of God, but their self-righteousness constantly put them at odds with grace. And in verse 38 of that passage, if you want to throw that up as well, Jesus is having this interaction with them, and this is what he says. He said, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus. They said, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. 
He answered, evil and unfaithful people ask for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except, interesting, hear this, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah was in the stomach of a huge fish, fish for three days and three days and nights. Something like that will happen to the Son of Man. He will spend three days and three nights in the grave. The men of Nineveh will stand up on judgment day and the people now living, or with the people now living, and the Ninevites will prove that those people are guilty. The men of Nineveh turned away from their sins when Jonah preached to them. And now one who is more important than Jonah is here. What's going on there? Jesus is saying, listen, the people of Nineveh heard from a man who spent three days in the belly of a beast. And as a result, they ended up repenting. But what you all are about to witness will be something far greater. Jesus then goes on to say, I am superior to Jonah, for I will descend far deeper than just into the belly of a beast. I'm going to descend into the grave, but I'm going to come up out of that grave in order to prove to you that the salvation that God promises is available by faith and through repentance. See, Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah, who does descend into the grave for three days, but emerges victorious over that grave, over the consequence of our rebellion. He's victorious over it. And he comes with a message of repentance, but also one of God's hesed, his steadfast love, his grace. See, we are people who so often, like Nineveh and Jonah, are rebelling against God. And we do that in a variety of different ways. And as a result of that rebellion, we deserve destruction. We deserve the grace, the, the grave. But Jesus Christ takes all of that. He takes that destruction. He takes the grave upon himself. And even in our self-righteousness, we may think that we deserve the hesed or the grace of God, but we don't. But we are given grace nonetheless. Why? Because in Christ, as we trust in him, God is faithful to even overcome that self-righteousness. So, for those of us here who are rebelling outside of obedience, know that the cross of Christ is Jesus descending into that fish, into the grave for you. For those who find themselves rebelling inside of obedience, the cross of Christ is actually a lot like that tree that brings shade to remind you of God's grace a grace that you did nothing to deserve. So the question I put before all of us then is how are we rebelling right now? Are we rebelling in disobedience or are we rebelling in our self-righteousness even within our obedience? Come to Jesus with confession and repentance. Experience anew that hesed of God, the grace of God in Christ extended to us as we turn in faith to him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you see us uh, in the midst of our rebellion. And Lord, if we are honest, every single one of us here is rebellious in some kind of way. For some of us here, we are running from you. 
We are rejecting you completely. We want nothing to do with you. We are on a boat going the opposite direction. God, if that is us, would you by your grace upend our lives? Take from us whatever it is that you need to take from us in order to jar us out of that rebellion. God, some of us here, we're part of your people. We claim that you are our Lord. And yet, even though we are obedient in that way, we are so self-righteous, so self-assured, so angry. God, squash that rebellion in us. Remind us that the grace that we have experienced has nothing to do with us. It has been nothing but your kindness. And may that restore to us a kindness within us, a grace within us, a renewed hope and trust in Jesus alone, not ourselves. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.